In this week's Nine Works episode, we're looking at the 997. We're taking a deep dive into the first generation and second gen cars. We're looking at owners' views and experiences, and we're looking at the pitfalls of buying and owning these cars today. And we also get to hear from the designer, Grant Larson, about the process they went through. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. Nineworks Radio is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Nineworks Radio is presented by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks with special input from friends and experts around the industry, as well as you, our valued listeners. Enjoy the episode. 997 then, boys. What do we reckon? Well, Lee and I actually met over my mutual love of 997s, really. (laughs) Mutual love? Um, I didn't think Lee loved them. Well, exactly. (laughs) I think that's how it came about. I think we've been exchanging some polite uh, messages, friendly messages through the power of social media me as a um as a as a fan reader of the magazine and if i remember correctly uh, there was quite a, it was quite a 996 heavy year for content in t911 the resurgence of the 996 the brilliance of the 996 the this that and the other of the 996 and i think at one point i think we'd exchanged a few messages so i was feeling a bit brave and i said i said look i understand uh this 996 you know copy that you're going through and it's all good but we all know that the 997 is better so when you come around next year to doing the revival of the 997 the this that and the other yeah, 997 yeah, yeah. i've got a really nice car and i'd love to be involved and he was like yeah okay mate whatever um, <laughs> get out of my face <laughs> <laughs> yeah get out of my face blocked yeah um, trying, to, trying to peddle the value of my own car here and you're not helping <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But then, but then, to his credit, um, he, whenever it was, you know, six months later or whenever it was, nine months later even, um, with about two days' notice trying to catch me out, he said, ah, I remember you saying that. Well, we're doing something in two days' time. Uh, can you meet me by a, a memorial near Wantage? Because um, we're going to do a, do a feature. So I said, yeah. I'm down with and, that. Um, and off I went. Cool. And I think that's when we actually met with with Kyle and Louis, um, and uh, yeah, we had a great time. I, I think it was. I think it was. I mean, first of all, I'd say welcome to publishing. It's always a case of what are you doing yesterday, and can you <laughs> okay. can you fit in with a more stringent deadlines? I think Andy knows all too well about that. Regards, he's living the legend column of late. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I don't. I don't think you're being a little bit unfair, Max. There, in regards to nine nine six. I think it was. Um, we always try to keep as much of a balance as we can in in the magazine and whatnot. And I just think yeah. perhaps that's the viewpoint of a nine nine seven owner that doesn't like the fact that nine nine six was perhaps catching up in the old value <laughs> states. I don't know. I, don't know. I, just, I just can't believe that this is going to was meant to be a nine nine seven episode, and all we've talked about so far is nine nine sixes. Nine nine sixes. Hijacked already. It's yeah. Hijacked already. It's the same car without Pasm. 
Wow. We're going to need 997 minutes on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should uh, refocus the editorial and say thank you very much, first of all, to listen it, to listeners. And certainly if you're still listening at this point, thanks for persevering. We will get back to talking about 997 because we have decided among the four of us that, look, yes, okay, the, the first water called 9-11, I didn't say 996, Andy, the first water called 9-11 is, you know, on a resurgence and has been for some time, but surely the best value for money 9-11 out there is the 997. It's got to be at the moment, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, agreed, yeah. agreed, agreed. It's one so of the greatest my... generations of 9-11 that they've made. Oof, Max is at any price out the blocks early, out the blocks early with the opinion. I like it. So I think it's worth pointing out that we've got two former 997 owners among our the four of us, being Max and Neil. Neil, you've had a couple, have you not? Uh, yeah, my first ever 911 uh, was a two uh, was a 2005 997, uh, blue with tan interior. Yeah, that was. Um, Tip, uh, Tiptronic, bought from Porsche's London. Yeah, my first ever, ever 9-11. Had it for six months, hated it. Vowed I'd never buy another 9-11. And then uh, the rest was history. <laughs> then you bought a Sport Classic? Uh, no, that, that was a bit later. So I've had, yeah, I've had a few. Uh, I think I've had about four 997s. One, oh, you're quite right, one including a Sport Classic, which was um, probably the longest I've ever owned a car. Eight years, yeah, 2010, 2018. Lovely car, absolutely beautiful looking car. One of the best looking cars I think I've ever owned, and uh, still is today. I think mean, it's 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 yeah, it's uh, the styling on it and the attention to detail that went into that car um, by uh, Porsche exclusive manufacturer. I think was off the scale, and um, and to make all two hundred and fifty of them the same was a brave move. And um, they sold out pretty quickly. I, I, they sold out virtually straight away, I think. But it was only, it was only a European wide car. It didn't go to North America, um, so Did they just sold all of them in Europe. No, no, yeah. no. Just no. Just sold. so you'll never see any of them with the silly bumper bits on the back. Um, so no, they're all um, they're all European cars, that's, unless they've been unless they've been letting since. But uh, no, yeah, that's interesting because no, I'm sure I saw on. Good old Instagram. There was a big old group of um, American drivers of sport classics doing like a big tour. Uh, ten or so of them. Um, I can't remember. Maybe after was, certain, maybe. maybe after a certain amount of years, they're allowed in, aren't they? Under a special status. Maybe. I think maybe. that is. Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, but they were definitely never sold um, to North America at the time. Yeah, so two hundred and fifty. Um, was it about 100, £149,000, I think, with the exchange rate? 140000 I think. Uh, €163,000, I think, so whatever the rate was, yeah. Um, sold out straight away. Uh, I, I, I'm told, but I'm not sure if this is true, that the only option you could have had was a short-shift gearbox or a normal gearbox. So um, that that may be an old wives' tale, I don't know, but my one was just a normal uh, uh, shift that, gearbox, but uh, that, that'll that'll be um, like the the specific shift itself, not that the gearbox had shorter ratios. Correct. Yes. Correct. Okay. Yes. Fine. Okay. Funny you mentioned the Sport Classic, then Neil. So at, at this point, we'll bring in a little bit of a segment of an interview that I did with Grant Larson. It was actually at the tail end of 2021, 
Mr. Larson, who of course is the designer of the 997, these days he heads up um, special projects at Porsche. So responsible for some really kind of cool cars, including the uh, Boxster Berg Spider, the 935 race car as well, the modern day um, iteration of that. But it was he who designed the 986 Boxster, but today's topic of conversation being the 997, he designed that as well. So here's a little segment of, uh, of a chat with him. With the 997, if you don't mind, we'll move on to that. The 997 is kind of touted by many as a return to traditional aesthetic for the 911. Was that a deliberate message from the top? Oh, that was pretty much my fault. That's what I wanted to do. Of Fuck. course, you don't do this by yourself in a dark corner, but you communicate with a lot with your boss and your team and things like that. You have to go back a few steps. For example, the um, if you look back in the history books or historical photographs of the development of the Boxster 911. Uh, both of them had uh, round headlamps and the 911, the 996 had round headlamps, like oval headlamps longer. Um, but to be honest, we were kind of like pushed in a corner for, as far as um, the uh, development costs and a lot of the development costs of, uh, I'm not making up excuses, it's just more like reality. And uh, Harm was really, Harm the guy was really set on doing something new. So we had the, on one hand, we had the development cost issue. On the, on the other hand, Harm wanted to do something new. I mean, if you're doing round headlamps ever since 1948, you got to find something new. So the fried egg, uh, <laughs> don't really like calling them that, but it's, it's a positive sounding nickname. It was uh, our, our contribution to making, uh, the helping Porsche to survive uh, what, keeping our fingers uh, on the uh, development costs is to uh, develop this lamp, which with everything was all combined in one unit. And it worked out quite well. I think it worked out well on the, on the Boxer Show car. It all had its uh, reasons, you know, that back then it was another designer, a friend of mine from, um, uh, from California. He described it better than I could have ever. He said that was the style back then. That was the theme. That was the how designers worked back then is that you describe the shape of certain elements with the cut lines. They all kind of work together. And that was that goal. We got close to what we wanted, but uh, the time and the, the time we had to develop and like refine stuff was extremely short. So fast forward to 997. We had a lot more time. We had a lot more development money. Um, in the early phases of uh, Boxster 996, 986, 996, there was a lot of uh, production, production restrictions. You had to, you had to build the car fast. And that was uh, King, Dr. Wendelin uh, Wiedeking. He was, uh, he came, had a production background. He also knew numbers very well. I said, brilliant, a brilliant person. And um, the the whole production aspect of the car it had to be. Um, a, a lot of the cars' uh, costs are based on how long it takes to produce. The faster you are produce, produce it, the more profitable you'll be. So uh, there was a lot of compromises made in the 996 and 986 as far as like the size of cut lines. Um, not very precise in, uh, in, um, in my eyes. And back then, uh, we saw what, you know, there were like these Lexuses coming out with these super fine shut lines and we're like, I thought, are we ever going to attain that? But then came along the 997 project and um, we were able to spend more time. And Everybody knew in the whole company that it's time to uh, refine and make everything precise. So that was our, that was our main, 
we had a couple of buzzwords like precision and clarity, um, not only of the lines and the size of cut lines, but the overall um, impression of the car and how the surfaces were treated a lot tighter, a little bit more, um, now nah, geometric is the wrong word for it, but a little bit more uh, Porsche-like. <laughs> yeah, Porsche-like. If you look at, for example, how the, how the tail lamps are done, we, have, we came up with a lot more complicated solutions that were more difficult to produce. But once we, once we got rolling with the, with the predecessors, we were pretty fit in uh, tightening things up for the 997. So the 987 and 997, we had this idea of starting a, like Harm Guy's Dream, uh, starting a California studio like uh, many other companies. Uh, had out there and we thought well that's that's where our clientele is that's where uh, it's a big market share there let's go there and design some Porsches so uh, we did that we did this little test program with uh, uh, the initial 987 and 997 uh, studies we did these full-size models from sketch to a full-size see-through model uh, in six months brought them back to Germany and say look what we can do in California in a short amount of time and and then, um, oh, okay, that sounds good. They were supposed to be more advanced models, but they kept, the packaging people kept bringing them closer and closer to production. So when it came time to officially start the project with the 997, you know, there's these people that were just starting sketches, and we had these see-through full-size models that were nearly unpackaged, except for the cowl line. So it's like, well, we'll forget the sketch phase. Let's just take these models. And they're going like, no, that's not how it's supposed to happen. Um, nevertheless, we did some uh, sketch phases and uh, developed that a little bit further, but we um, basically, uh, how do you say, confirmed the fact that perhaps a California studio could do us good. That's what we did in 2001, somewhere around there. Um, took over a, a, a studio that Samsung had started when they initially wanted to uh, produce uh, cars. And so turnkey studio, everything was, you just walk in there and start designing Porsches. So then their first project that they awarded to, awarded to uh, begin on was this Carrera GT. At that, that time it was called uh, SCM, Sports Car Millennium or something like that. Um, can you talk about that Sport Classic? You know, you get these projects, they come from your boss and say, you figure out who's going to do that. Ah, this one, Sport Classic, it could have a little bit of uh, references to the past. Uh, give that to Grant. He likes that stuff. He likes Porsche history. <laughs> so I did that, and it's like, well, the thing, uh, the thing uh, I think it took us all by surprise how successful that was. There's a big support uh, by that car, uh, from that car by um, Alex Fabig, who runs the uh, department that does uh, that Rolf Springer earlier did going way back it's called Zonderwunsch so we're doing a lot of that now but that was the first start the 997 Sport Classic it was actually called 911 Sport Classic was uh, that sort of restart into that like limited limited production cars special editions and they started off with like 250 it's a very low amount of cars and uh, but it went went off really well so we proved proved that it was a that was the right thing to do parallel to that we were doing a a 997 Speedster that had nothing to do with exclusive guides. We were just working on the Speedster. And then it got, for some reason, uh, axed. We were about 80% uh, done with the development, and they axed it as a, as a derivative. They thought, ah, oh, no, we can't sell enough. And uh, whatever, for, whatever, for whatever reasons, it was canceled. And then so the exclusive guys, they can, oh, wait a minute, here's a, here's a car. It's just about ready to be... Uh, produce it's so nearly fully developed. Let's take over that and make it a limited run of those cars.
And so that brought me a bit closer to um, uh, the exclusive people, and uh, that just took took us two uh, more steps forward into this uh, special projects kind of thing. Very interesting. Very interesting. Sounds like Grant and I would really get on. <laughs> I, I definitely <laughs> think so. Definitely <laughs> think so. What I, what I really like from that conversation is how kind of the 997 really is like the the American 911. It was yeah. at its yeah. kind of at its very beginning was designed over in the USA. I think that's really cool. Yeah, that is interesting. Though. And some, something that I like, which I hadn't heard before, um, but I really do like, you know, we all know about the, uh, you know, the value of component sharing and that sort of thing between the Boxster and the 996, you know, and the importance of that um, and the speed of production for profitability, but also the desire to do something different. You know, when you build, you know, a develop something for, for many, many years. And I do believe that, you know, things shouldn't be needlessly retro. I think, you know, that car manufacturers and other designers and creatives are supposed to lead taste, be tastemakers, not to reflect what, you know, the public think they want because the, the public don't know. That's why we're not designers. So, you know, I, I do like the idea that there was a desire to do that. Um, I think that, that that's really interesting. Mm, yeah, and something we've kind of overlooked at this point, just among our own conversation, that, that Grant Larson rightly brings up, is the superior quality on the uh, the superior shut lines on the nine nine seven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. different, isn't it? Yeah, and, when and you again, look at the shut lines between the bumpers and the wings—they're so tight on the nine nine seven, especially at the back. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, definitely, and and again, it just comes down to as you were saying, you know, there's there's budget came down to it of 997 but also time as well to do the car and you can just tell that it's had more time and money invested in it over perhaps what the 996 was able to muster yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they're really interesting that's a great piece oh, thank you no it's nice it was Good. really really nice that we could get that segment so um Excellent. i think after that should we bring on chris from right tune yes there he is how is everyone you're right pretty good good, yeah, good thank thanks. you yeah, mate, we're absolutely dandy. Thanks for joining us today. So it'd be nice to get some sort of technological aspect thrown into the ring here, which is obviously where you come in. Yeah, no problem. Well, just generally about 997s or any in particular? I, I think it'd be prudent to split this in two between Gen 1 and Gen 2, considering the engines are totally different. So why yeah. don't we, in the, in the uh, interests of chronology, why don't we start with the Gen 1? Yeah, okay, yeah. Well... Generally, they're they're very good. Don't give too much trouble. But some of the earlier ones now we're starting to see come in the workshop, and they are needing quite a bit of work. Uh, the as a general rule, the engines don't suffer as much for the IMS bearing issue, um, but they do tend to more likely have scored bores. It's not that uncommon for it to use a bit of oil um, mechanically. They're, they're, they're pretty good. We are having quite a lot of issues with coolant pipes because of the construction is with a rubber pipe with a steel end on the end. Is that into the crossover the pipes at the front, isn't it? Yeah, well, all throughout the car. The whole so, lot. And when they're put on, they're put on, as in when they're fitted and how the design of the car is, it's one of the first things that goes on. Uh-huh. So to get to them, you've got to pull the engine and gearbox out and strip all the front subframe down it's it's a, a lot of work to get there um and they and they will go and, and it's not really um down to how much you sort of use the car how you've treated it it's sort of almost a time thing it seems to me anyway with the uh, you know the 
the reaction between the dissimilar aluminium and steel metals. Uh, you have your same, it's sort of a similar issues as like 996. You have some, you have the brake pipe issue that goes over the top of the gearbox, um, oil air separators, and then just general stuff. We're only starting to see that now, and the cars are getting sort of, you know, now 14 or 15 years old. You have to do very little to them previously. So, so those things that you're seeing, Chris, that's a function of the age of the cars, isn't it? I would I mean, say so. They've been used rather than any inherent weakness in the any part of the no. design of, of a 997. No, the, 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 the design of the, the, the cooler pipes, I'm not quite sure why they did that. It's a bit right. daft. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> it's a bit like, I don't know anything really about other marks that much, but Land Rovers apparently have the same thing of the this alley body on a steel shell and they all rust but it's a similar thing but with the with the coolant system so it's one of those things then that if someone bought one to you uh, for a service just like a normal service and you said to them there's actually nothing wrong with your coolant pipes but i think we should have them changed is something that people should listen to you and think yeah this is a time thing so there's nothing well, no wrong no with not a time you can you can but, but i think we should just change them anyway you can no 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 i'd only be doing it if there was an issue um and you can visually see them you can get to them so right. you can see if there's an issue happening um and it's just usually starts off with corrosion and i would then advise the client that there is corrosion there but it's not leaking yet so it's not we're not going to change it now because it's you know that's daft really but it will leak at some point or if there is evidence sometimes there's evidence of leak it's not a bad one you've got to then sort of say well it is starting to go and you might find yourself with a big puddle on the floor usually you know on the side of the m25 on a friday night when you least want it <laughs> uh, but 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 yeah that that is a that is an issue that uh the, the well, engine I, sorry well i was just gonna say i think that's kind of coming to the crux of it so we we mentioned earlier on in the podcast as to why there's a real overlap between 996 and 997.1 prices and i think yeah. you know whilst the 997 should be praised for the fact it brought the 911 back to that traditional classical aesthetic that we spoke about and we also praise the uptick of quality on the interior um and it's where i slightly disagree with max on the next point i think underneath the car it's it reveals itself to very much be the same platform as the 996 so a lot of those problems the 996 has they are carried over for the it, 997 it, it, exactly correct and the same sort of things like you've had with your car lee suspension wishbone um the wishbone bushes creak, you know being creaky or knocking um it's a very similar car i'd just say that the, they have more in a way <laughs> more issues because of the coolant pipes um maybe less so from the engines but they do tend to have an issue with with this score bore thing um and generally with the, with like the 3.8 but the three i've seen it on the 3.6 as you know as we've seen it on 996 but they they tend to suffer more than that but again monitor your consumption if it's not using a lot of oil it might not use any um see see what's happening and i not speak to your local specialist or support center and as i said they're generally good it's just these are some key areas i would be looking at yeah like what neil said when it comes in for a service it's, i'd be looking at 
coolant pipes brake pipes obviously are suspension components the oil consumption is going to be difficult for me to know unless and you've got to speak to the client and ask you know what's what's it doing also they um halfway through so this is a conversation i had with hard tech but halfway through the first generation of 997 um engines they they slipped in a little uh well engineering upgrade on the ims and then they don't they don't fail a bit the the problem with the bearing is it's, it's too small really that's the main issue and they just they just redesigned it all and made it a lot bigger um that's what a lot of people will now fit and they've had no issues as far as i'm aware so there is a little design upgrade halfway through the first iteration of the generation one nine nine seven yeah so around oh six oh seven or, or something mm. um, why oh why did porsche go to uh or change the service schedule with 997s from every year to every other year i mean I, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me considering it's like sensibly the same yeah car. and they also you know you get to i mean you not a lot of cars do do a lot of miles but you're getting up to sort of 99 there's twenty thousand miles or two years isn't it um yeah and you can get up to this high mileage and you've only changed your oil four times i mean <laughs> it's not that good is it they're saying that the oil's special and everything and, and and it is it has moved on the technology has moved on but it's it's you're asking it to do a lot especially on a high performance car um so yeah but you say that though Lee. if you, if you had a 997 now and you went to a uh, an independent rather than opc you'd probably have it done every year yeah that's what i would i agree you with would. i would advise you would to do that um yeah. to change yeah. it every year unless you're really not using the car at all and it's being stored but there's another argument to be said because we've stripped a lot of engines and found issues due to corrosion i mean you wouldn't think you'd get corrosion inside something that's filled up with oil but you get condensation in there and then that can over time cause things pitting in places so for the price of the you know doing the, the oil change it's to me a no-brainer to just do it and you know it's done mm. every every year I would agree with you on that, Neil. Yeah, mm, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm adopting that on my 991. Even you know, I went as you say, Lee. It was it was uh, every year and twelve thousand miles to two years and twenty thousand miles. That was the change, wasn't it? Mm. But you yeah. know, when I bought my car from Paragon, they said, you know, I think that we should do annual oil changes. Um, you know, that's good practice. So that's mm. what I did, and I'll now be carrying on with that with the 991, just because it seems like a sensible thing to do. Yeah, I don't know why everyone doesn't do that. Yeah, no, not everyone, and, and obviously the Porsche service schedule will say otherwise. But if mm. if you're concerned and you want to be, you know, belt braces, I would be, I would be changing it probably more more regularly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that's the prevention rather than cure attitude, isn't it? Because you, if you're giving it to someone like this every every single year, and if he's just doing an oil change, he's obviously going to look over the car anyway, and you're going to change things that may not necessarily hundred percent failing and they need changing. But then you can decide yourself whether you want to be next to the M25 on a Friday night looking at a pool of water or not, or whether you want to spend a couple of hundred quid renewing something that doesn't need it at the moment, but it may need it in six months' time. So I think that's very good practice because someone like Chris will be able to put his torch under there, look over it, look over it, and give you advisories, just like an MOT, mm -hmm. and just say, hmm, I think you should be doing this. And you trust someone like that anyway, because 
I don't know, sometimes you go to an OPC and you think that they're maybe trying to upsell you. For me, when I go to an independent, I always trust what they say. Always. I never think it I never think of it as an upsell. Just that's just me personally. I always just trust what they say and spend the money. And I think that if you owned a 997, an early 997, or even a Gen 2, you would definitely take it every single year and you would work on the prevention rather than cure methodology. If you don't, then I think you're just asking for trouble. So, Chris, for someone who's coming to the brand and he wants to buy a 997, um, a Gen 1 car, that's in the price range. Um, you know, I, I'm a great believer in, you know, you buy the history and get the car for free. So, you know, you should be looking at a real full history file and see everything that's been done, no gaps and that sort of thing. Um, do you think, as a matter of course, people should get a, you know, a bore score inspection done? You know, what are the things that yeah you think people should do? I would, yeah. I've We've touched on this before. The... The problem with the ball score inspection and is is that it is quite difficult to see what is just general wear and what's a problem, unless it's really badly worn. And then you probably would hear, you know, the engine knocking and certain things like that. Um, it's it's not going to hurt, hurt, but you need to know the oil consumption really, um, and that's difficult unless you've bought the car. So I'd be looking at the tailpipes um, to see, because one side, it always normally goes on one side, normally on six. So it, 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 it's the, there's a black tailpipe. Um, the left-hand side so, you need to look at, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was it, because the pipes cross over. So yeah, look at, look yeah. at that. And then um, I would just get a good inspection done by an independent um, because... because it, you can see big bills quickly. If you need to start doing things like coolant pipes that go over the top of the engine, you take the you've got to take the engine and gearbox out, and then is a it escalates usually from our experience of you know well whilst we're there, if it's mm, a manual yeah. car, changing you know clutch maybe flywheel, sorting out some little oil leaks that's usually present on an older car. Um, oil coolers we've had leaking recently uh not always the oil air separators failed but it's easy to easy a lot easier to get to it once you've got it out or that's um there's sort of three there's this slightly different on 3.8 there's like two little ones and a bigger one and then um uh yeah so i would i would get it inspected a lot of people don't they buy it and then bring it to us and say can you look at it and Sometimes it's like, well, it needs quite a bit doing, not always. But if, if somebody wants to s sell the car and, and they're not happy to have it inspected, or, you know, it's almost like, what, why, what are you trying to hide? <laughs> so you, there's lots of good independent places, but I would advise taking it to, to a proper an actual premises because some of the mobile ones, although some of them are very good, some of them won't jack it up. They're almost just looking at the bodywork, which you could almost do yourself. Uh, you really need to get under these cars to look at them mechanically and see what's going on. That's, I would advise, yeah, if you're going to be looking at buying one, to, to, to have a look because it's very, the bills can rack up very quickly and there are big ranges of, uh, yeah, different standards of these, of these cars because of how they've been looked after or serviced 
sometimes you've had a mechanic you think you know you think they've been kind to you but they're not really but like what neil said if it goes to a car goes every year to the garage then it may have it may just sort of be kept up but if it's been neglected for many years it ends up then being one massive bill and one go which is sometimes harder mm. to yeah. to deal with and if you've just bought one of these things it's not going to be the first uh the best first experience of the brand <laughs> yeah <laughs> given a large bill but yeah so that that that's gen one then chris what about gen two because they have that reputation of being bulletproof but um well, is, is that the case from what you've seen at right tune well i yeah i mean this is the thing i was gonna i was thinking about this and not gonna have that much to say because which is good in a way but i know some people have had problems but I've, i always have to be honest we personally have had no issues at all wow, so okay. i can't really say too much however i have spoken to some of my friends in the industry and they said they've had some issues with uh, high pressure fuel pumps um like the it, the end you can get a bit poked up because of the design is different uh, and that's not just common to the porsche engine it's just this direct injection that's true pressure. of dfi engines isn't it Often yeah so that's not just a porsche thing it's a general design design features porsche would call it but the shot you know the chassis and stuff and everything's the same and of the same having the same issues but is the coolant pipe they, thing the they, same yeah. did they sorry did they make any changes did they make any changes for gen 2 to alleviate the coolant pipe thing or is it all rooted and it's the same, the same way the same sort of issue and you will we'll be having the same problem again. okay so that's going to come down the line as these cars the 991s and 981s we will we will in the future i'm sure have the same issue because it's the same not the same part but it's the same design okay um i think it's designed like that but what weights semi for weight and also because that is quite quick to assemble on a production line so they all sort of click together quite quickly um so whereas with the 996 it's more rubber hoses and clips which is ever so slightly slower we haven't had too many issues with the pdk boxes but i know uh because we we try and change the oil for some reason all gearboxes seem to be people seem to forget about servicing or changing the oil so Mm. we we changed Mm. Often I'll speak to a customer and go, when was the, if they're new, when was the gearbox store last changed? I don't know. I don't think it's ever been done. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll always change it. We haven't had any issues, but with the PDK boxes, I, I might be, I might be mistaken, but as far as I'm aware, it's very difficult and you can't get bits. So it's usually if you've got a problem with a new gearbox um, wow. and it's, yeah so it's not it's not i think the last time i checked so i haven't checked today but they were like sort of about 10 grand exchange plus you've got to fit it so it's going to be a lot cheaper to change your oil isn't it <laughs> every now and then um but having said that i've only heard of other people having issues we personally have had any issues so i can't i don't have lots of data for you with this with these cars they've been they've been very good the engines have been quite good we've had a few little you know things that would fail like you know water pumps or but not as much as like the earlier cars um and um we've had some solenoids some electrical parts but you know electrical components fail don't they um on the engines and i mean i'll be i'm very interested to see what will happen over the course of you know 
the next few years to see if we do have some issues. But by the large and from the research I've been able to do by not just by going on the internet and Googling it, speaking to other people that work at bigger independents and the same opinion of me, really, that I've had very little trouble with them. Well, that's great. And, and again, that cements the reputation of those cars as being pretty bulletproof. And again, just going back to the conversation earlier on, that might kind of hint at the, the reason between the gulf and prices between Gen 1 and, and Gen 2, realistically. Yeah. But people are concerned about the early 997s, aren't they? Because they think they're going to probably have to have some IMS work done or and get something to done about the score balls. I've seen... We had we had a car in recently in the in the shop and it had been at another uh, indie and um, the chap was delighted because he bought it had it inspected and it had an awful lot of work done by another very well known respected indie in our area and it had an en- an engine rebuild all the coolant pipes done brake pipes brakes so he's he's bought he knows it's not going to need anything again is it so it's all it's all been sorted. But this is the sort of difference you can, you know, buy a car like that and now he's just probably going to bring it every year and we'll change the oil or one that's got issues. So, yeah, do your homework, speak speak to your local indie um, and, you know, all us, most of us guys, are, you know, I'm pretty sure pretty happy to chat and, and you know, give you advice. I certainly would be. It's no problem. And, um, or, is it, or is it just the point now, Chris, where where these cars are coming into the era of engine rebuild cars. So you know that if you're going to buy one and if you're going to keep it for a long while, then you might as well just treat it as a, as, as you would with a classic car, getting your engine rebuilt on a classic, just get the engine rebuilt on a 997. And then, you know, you're not going to have all these problems and then you can have yeah. it for the next 10, 12, 15 years and not worry about it. Yep, that's, that's why you're getting it cheap in the first place. Yeah, no, that is is one way of looking at it, Neil. Uh, or, you know, not all of them do have issues. So if it's being regularly serviced or, um, you know, and uh, looked at, then if there isn't an issue, it's sort of, you know, why why do it? You can obviously be concerned about failure, but generally speaking, the 997 engine doesn't suffer as badly with the bearing it's more the fact it just wears out starts drinking oil now if you're somebody that's not going to check your level and keep on top of that sort of thing then yeah i would agree with you get it get it done get it sorted so that it's just one less thing to worry about and don't and you know that's another thing like a lot of um clients i have are worried about it the whole time and, and the percentage we see of problems is not that high um so i'd say enjoy you know, you have the car, use it and enjoy it rather than worrying about it because it's a lot of it is quite a lot of scaremongering on, on the internet. Mm-hmm. From what I see, I'd be more worried about coolant pipes about to explode than any kind of like major engine drama. What's what's the if, ballpark figure for fixing those coolant, yeah, coolant yeah. pipes? Well, it depends I'm going to hold where you, you to. It depends where you would go. Where you go. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's say you're going to your local independent guys that, you know, um, would replace what's necessary, but not go absolutely ape well, shit. It, it depends on how, how bad it how bad it all is. But if you've got to do the whole car, probably three three days work. Yeah. Solid. Somebody on it. Solid. Maybe longer if you've got aggro corrosion. That's another problem that these cars do suffer from we do 
end up cutting a lot of suspension components and things off and we've got the gas out the oxygen oxycetylene because there is they do suffer from corrosion the bodies themselves are really good they've been really well treated when they're made but everything that's bolted to it does can and does suffer from corrosion so that can slow us up and like i said you know yeah it sounds like the long conversation you get when you get the bill isn't it it sounds like that. Well, here's the bill, and well, you know, we spent three days. We had to get the oxycetylene out, and the no, just tell us how much it is. Just yeah. tell us how much it is, please. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's just trying to explain to everyone why, why it is aggro because it can't. It looks like it should be straightforward. Yeah. If you spend like half an hour with messing around with one bolt, it it starts oh, yeah. becoming mm. a, a, an issue. Um, it's not. I'm. It's not uncommon to see bills at the moment for 997 is between five and ten grand that it, uh, it would not surprise me because once you get the get start taking it apart more things will fail or it will be very close to being we really need to change this commonly you know you, talk, you take the engine out and, and the and the engine mounts like explode and there's all everywhere so and i think off the top of my head they're about 360 quid for the pair plus the vat for porsche ones so you know, and you only have to do that a few times. It's added another couple of grand, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. So During the time that I owned mine, Chris, I had mine for nearly 10 years and I did about 50,000 miles in it. Yeah. And I started off with a good car and I, I put a spreadsheet together um, for the, for the, when, when Lee used the car for a T911 feature, I put it, I think I'd had it for seven years at that point. You let Lee use and, your car? Uh, yeah, I didn't actually let him drive it. <laughs> <laughs> um i was and, allowed to touch the steering wheel and that was it, <laughs> Not in it. Did he, did he break it <laughs> and what i found was because i started off with a good car for the first couple of years i didn't really spend very much money on it but then because i um because i was doing a lot of miles in it stuff was wearing out so I, that, mm. I then went into a sort of cycle of every other year it would be quite expensive but that would be a combination of consumables that had worn out and then these things started to come I never got as far as the coolant pipes. That was a conversation I had with Paragon before I sold it, but it was coming round to those sorts of things. And it was like that combination, you know, it wouldn't be, you know, every other year I might spend between two or 3000 pounds on it, but that would yeah. be, you know, I might have to do, you know, discs or pads or, you know, they'd be tight, you know, they'd be those sorts of things as well. Yeah. And I never had anything major go wrong with it, but there, you know, it started to be quite an old, mine was a 54 plate. So things did start to, yeah. things did start to wear out. I would, yeah, I would, that doesn't really surprise me that hearing that sort of thing. Did you have the tandem pump done or anything like that? Well, I'd have to look at my spreadsheet. Oh, I'm not right. sure. I'm not that, sure. But I, I was thing saying to look at from on a 997 Gen 1 from a safety point of view, because I forgot to mention there's a pump on the back of the engine um, that is made out of lot really cheap metal um, and they rust and it, it, it's, it creates a servo assistance for the for the brake pedal, and what happens is is they tend to like well they corrode so badly that then you get two problems: you get an engine oil leak, it's usually quite bad, and the brake pedal goes rock hard. Right. So it is a potential safety thing. So that's something else like that we'd be always looking at on a service, um, and we would once obviously if we fit a new one, we'd always treat it. You don't have any issues, but yeah, that is another little unique thing to yeah. nine on seven. I, I was saying to the guys earlier on, Chris, that I, I like, um, I mean, I owned a gen one and I've spent time in gen twos. And I was saying that I prefer, 
or I really enjoy the character of the Gen One uh, engine compared to the to the DFI motor. Oh, right, I, yeah. I can, you know, I can, you know, make an argument. I think, and I may, I think, I might have written this in my T nine eleven column that, you know, if you could afford forty five grand for a Gen Two nine nine seven, I mean, what a wonderful car that would be. But why not spend thirty five grand on a sorry, yeah forty five on a Gen Two? Why not spend thirty five on a nice Gen One? And spend a bit of money on it, and then you've got that lovely because that that you know the M ninety six M ninety seven engine does have real character to it in yeah. a way that the the DFI perhaps doesn't. I don't I, I don't think, and um, you know I'm I'm not sure. Lee, there's if less, there are, there's if slightly there are less far, isn't it? Because it's a more polished experience. Is yeah I, yeah, I know what you're getting at. Yeah, and I, mean, I think when Porsche eventually bring out the Porsche Classic. Um, infotainment system for the 907 that's going to be as valid in a second gen car as it, as it is in a first gen car so yeah, you wipe out any of those um any of those advantages from the gen 2 car and you know i, I think that would be you know i'd like that i've got my in fact i might I'll, I'll get on the trader and start looking <laughs> you mean nine works classifieds max oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> random point random point well look there there is loads and loads and loads of information that you've imparted onto us and our listeners chris so like mega 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 grateful of that good sir that's all right you're more than welcome legendary it's worth pointing out anybody at home if you've got any more kind of queries or, or anything regarding the 997 mechanically speaking obviously we can give you opinions till the till the cows come home but for some informed information give chris a call at right tune or visit rightune.co.uk thanks very much yeah and i'd be happy to speak to anyone so yeah give us a call tops my man thank you, you need... very much indeed thank you very much Good to see you, chris. Nice to thanks see chris you. and thanks, chris I miss nice you, beard. See you soon. Yeah, yeah, miss you, beard. See you soon. I know. <laughs> Browse our listings of quality used Porsche for sale from Nineworks approved dealers at nineworks.co.uk backslash classifieds. I think it'd be great to just establish some thoughts from former owners, Max and Neil, on the 997. Well, purely from a, from a way people think now, um, certainly from my point of view, I think with the resurgence of the 996 and how popular the 993 is still, and then with the great success of the 991, it's almost as if the 997 has become forgotten. It's like a forgotten era amongst the 911. Well, it, it, it sort of is for me. Um, you don't really see them in um, magazines being, uh, being written up and lauded. You know, it's all about... Maybe, Maybe the 997 GT3, because that one's really come to the fore at the moment. Um, so the GT products. But the only way people talk about the 997 now is just how cheap they are. And I think that's not really doing it justice because it was a great car at the time. The styling of the car, I thought, was beautiful. Um, and then when they stepped up to the Gen 2, um, you know, extras like the direct fuel injection, touchscreen PCM, it, it, it really brought the car forward. Um, that's not to say that the Gen 1 wasn't a great car, but the step up between the Gen 1 and the Gen 2, I think, was the biggest of any, to me anyway, the step up was the biggest of any Gen 1 to Gen 2. You really, really, really did notice it. Not, not so much from the outside. I mean, that was things like LED lights and the change in the bumper and spoiler, but um, from the interior and the suspension and the way the car drove and, of course, the PDK come in as well. I think there was such a big step up for a Gen 2, and people forget that. And I think if you look at the specifically the Gen 2 now, that's the really, really, really popular of the cars because the Gen 1 gets a bad reputation, I think, because of the engine. Um, 
Uh, I think that's probably I think that's probably justified in some cases, but with the price they are at the moment, that's it's a, it's, that's the entry market into the nine eleven. I think now, whereas it is, it? whereas yeah. it was it was the nine nine six, and now I think it's it's the nine nine seven Gen one. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. But if, if I was to buy one, I would definitely go for the Gen two just for a little bit of safety wise. But so from an owner's point of view, I mean, if I can remember back to two thousand and five, it was. It was just, it was just a beautiful looking car, fast. Tiptronic wasn't the best from what I can remember, um, but the way the car looked, deep blue, tan interior, nine eleven. I mean, you can't get any better than that, can you? And um, the Carrera wheels on it as well. It was, yeah, it, it was great. Um, I don't, it, you know, me selling it after six months, not getting on with it because it was a nine eleven. That's just me. That's just stupid on me. But um, what did um, you like about I, it to begin with? Then now it's got to be that gearbox, think, isn't it? Not the interior. No, I think it was just my first entry into a, a really fast sports car. Um, I just didn't like the point and go part of it. Maybe if it was a manual, then I would have had a better experience. But yeah. the fact that it was a an automatic, albeit Tiptronic, I mean that was still a fast car, really, really fast car, and it just seemed like a little bit pointy squirty to me. So perhaps I should have gone manual early doors, but um, no. Um, but my other four ways into the nine nine seven market have been yeah, very enjoyable. Love the car, um, so I I would speak very highly of it for the um, mid mid range between the nine nine six and then, which is to me the best one, which which is the nine nine one. But I think the nine nine seven certainly deserves its place in the nine eleven history, definitely, definitely. Okay, interest. So definitely, yeah, um, a committed, committed character to the nine nine seven cause with Neil Max. I mean, I would have on your if I was you, I, my uh, Instagram bio would just say nine nine seven evangelist. <laughs> I'm very pro nine nine seven, and unlike Neil, I'm actually pro first gen. I think if you want a manual gearbox car, I mean, clearly Tiptronic versus PDK. You know, PDK is you know, it's, there's just no question, but everything else i'm a gen one guy um i actually think the the m96 and m97 engines have more character than the dfi motor i think the dfi motor really found its voice in the in the 991 well i'd, I'd say that it lost its voice didn't it because yeah a gen one sounds much better than a gen two to my ears sounds more raw more um it's got yeah it's got voice to it or a gen gen two is a little bit muffled it's it's very refined, you know. There's a, a lot of refinement that came with the DFI engine, um, and I think that was to the in Carrera terms. Certainly, I think that's to the to the detriment of the overall package. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm probably unusual in being a you know being a first gen guy. The advantage for me would be if I were to buy another one that there were a lot more of them. You know, they sold a lot more Gen One cars than they did Gen Two because they were trying to sell the Gen Two car during the financial crisis. So, not that they didn't. Well, I suppose they made as many as they could sell, and that was. That was not, you know, not not so many. But f- for me, you know, as soon as the 997 came out, I've said before I was a big 993 guy and I, I struggled with the 996. I think as a lot of people did. I mean, subjectively, the 996 was a huge step on from the 993 dynamically from a packaging point of view and, you know, all of those things, you know, and I understood that because I was reading about it in Autocar and other magazines. I didn't quite get on with the look of it. Um, I did a bit more the second gen, but when the 997 came out, I thought, you know, that really looks nice. You know, I, I was really, you know, I really liked it. And as soon as I started reading about it, you know, people were in raptures about it. 
you know, in the in the specialist press and in the you know the mainstream motoring press. And I remember buying, um, I think it was my first copy of GT Purely Porsche when it was still called that, and uh, they were they were running some nine nine seven stuff on their cover. Um, and inside, uh, Chris Harris, when he wrote for them, he bought uh, Bassart Black on Crab Claws. 997 Carrera S manual and he thought it was just the most fantastic thing he said it this is a keeper of course he sold it soon after but you know you know I thought wow you know it really must be good and from then on you know I mean it was the generation of the time and going into Gen 2 I just thought it was just a fantastic thing Um, and then it became the 911 that I could afford when I was lucky enough to be able to buy one so um, you know that's that that's where the the partisan approach to it probably comes from you know that tricky relationship with the 996 and then love of the 997 excellent you know i own mine for nearly 10 years excellent i have to say as again as a 997 evangelist i think you were you were pretty well balanced there max in 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 what you're saying so credit where it's due (laughs) thank you i think (laughs) no no no, credit credit to you as well for you know for saying how much you like the gen one as well because you could have been easily tempted to step up to the gen two at any stage not for a, a lot more money you know you could have just followed everybody else that you know wants the bigger and better thing but you stayed with what what you love which is good which is kudos to you mate you know and, and i was tempted i mean when i when i bought my my car you know even as i was paying you know jamie at paragon for my 997 gen one carrera 2 uh, as it was as i was doing that my plan in my mind was i would run that um, and then I would at some point be able to afford a 907 GT3 Gen 1. And that's what I'd move on to. As time went on, uh, you know, those values went up and it, and it went out of my reach. So I did think about, you know, should I be going Gen 2? I really wanted a GTS for a while, but they, you know, they were never cheap, but they were almost affordable at, at one time. But I started to think about, and Lee and I talked about it quite a lot, the law of diminishing returns, you know, in terms of, you know, the the cost of exchange for my car, which was never worth a huge amount of money because I put too many miles on it, to a Gen 2, I just thought, you know, it's not, you know, is it, no. is it worth it? And I drove quite a lot of Gen 2s because they were the car of the time. I went um, a few times to Porsche Experience Center. So I drove a lot of, you know, I drove C2S, C4S. Um, I drove the GTS that I tested at Max to Page. So I did, I did spend time in, in Gen 2 cars and they were fantastic, but I just thought maybe it's not, you know, if my car's worth 20 grand and a GTS is 65 grand, is that, you know, is, yeah, I thought maybe it's just not worth it. So then I became interested in the 991. It's funny because where, Neil, you've said that the 997 has almost kind of been forgotten at the moment. I think that's a really interesting point. And, and to a degree, I agree with the sentiment. What I will say is the 997 has forever, to my mind, been the popular 911. It righted a lot of the wrongs from the 996 in terms of build quality um, and the aesthetics as well it returned the 911 to a traditional aesthetic so right from launch it's always been supremely popular Uh, and again you know if we look at the numbers customers and consumers have voted with their wallets there's 175,996 is made in total with the 997 gen 1 and gen 2 the figure was 213,000 for global market so it's quite a step up and i think what the gen 1 did so well was just allowed that 911 lineup to blossom and i think it was august ackliner the former head of the 911 production line mentioned in the first series of nine works radio how that it was a great it was one of his greatest achievements was with the 997.1 allowing that that 
911 lineup to blossom in terms of the varieties available. It introduced the S yeah. for the first time, which made the the 911 highly profitable compared to old you know and again you know the the c2 c4 c2s c4s coupe cab targa even without talking about turbos and whatnot that gives the consumer a lot of choice and then of course by generation two the m97 engine went and in its place the 9a1 engine which obviously got rid of of the problems or some of the problems which we'll talk about later on with uh, and obviously introduced direct fuel injection but for me what that was so nice about the gen 2 was latterly there were so many like seriously sweet special editions that came along And, and, and it was like a purple patch of cars if you think gt2 rs 997 RS 4-litre. The GTS in itself was kind of looked upon as a run-out special of the time. Then you had that lovely Sport Classic. The Speedster, I, I firmly kind of I understand how special some people might view that car, and I like the idea behind it. I do just think that's perhaps one of the only 911s Porsche should probably have never made. But Not pretty, is it? it? It's to me, and I've said this before, it just departs from the ideology of what a speedster should be you know mm. pdk only a load of toys chucked at it wide body quite heavy just yeah i, I just don't think porsche should ever have, have made that car but again i appreciate the sentiment in giving enthusiasts it was almost like porsche knew hey this is going to be the last traditional 911 as we know it let's give the enthusiasts something to really hold on to and, and so therefore i just as i say i just think the 997 gen 1 and gen 2 is always ridden on a crest of a wave of popularity well, well, from 2010 to 2012 was just was just a, a load of runouts, wasn't it? Like you say, it was just you know from the Sport Classic to the uh, GT3 RS4 litre in 2011, um, it was just let's get as many special editions out of this 997 as I can. But um, I think that slightly detracts a little bit um, from what Max has been 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 saying about the Gen One. I think we should concentrate a little bit more on the Gen One and you know realise what a great step up it was um, going back to the looks of the 993 more with the headlights at the front um, and like you say uh, Lee it just it just connected people with a, with a 911 again it just made people want that 911 again um, after the 996 and all the problems there with the 996 um, and then the numbers speak for themselves because like you say you know over 200,000 and I think it just it just got people back into the 911 market um, and then with the Gen 2 coming along as well, that just accelerated it on to a different level again and then on to the 991. But the first Gen 997, I think that should be lauded really because what went into that car, and when you when you first got into that car, um, I think you just felt as though you was in a Porsche 911 again. Yeah, that's that's the you biggest just, thing, isn't it? You, the yeah, you just, Agreed. Yeah, you just sat in it. You just sat in it. And everything was where you remembered it in a 911. You know, that's the whole thing about getting in a 911. And to me, it doesn't really matter whether it's a 993, 996, 997 or 991. You you get in it and everything is where it should be. And I think they got a little bit lost with the 996 when they tried playing around with um, where all the PCM is and everything. And But back to where the 997, you just got in it and the steering wheel looked like a 911. Uh, the dash and where the PTM was just looked like a 997, uh, like a 911. The door cars, the door handle, it, everything was there accessible. And then going on the outside, the headlights, the back wasn't too fussy. The back was just stylish. It wasn't bulbous. It wasn't big. It wasn't flashy. It was just a 911. And I think people were just grateful to have that back. 
I think you're right, Neil. I think in spite of all the 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 fuss we make about you know the, the headlights, the fried eggs, and all that sort of thing, for me the interior was the big was was the big thing. I think yeah, you know, the there, big, there were, big letdown. Yeah, there were two. Mm. You know, there were two cars that I that I looked at really seriously as to whether I I could buy them. They were both in the sphere of things that I could afford and I was interested in. One was the nine nine six C four S. Um, you know, highly, highly rated car. And the mm. other, which I, I remember reading, perhaps in GT Pulley Porsche again, I can't remember, it said if you're in the market for a 997 Carrera S, just stop and think and maybe you should look at a 996 Turbo. You know, they were similar money at the time. And so I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. I'll look at that. But um, both really, really interesting, really appealing cars. But the inside, I just don't like it. Um, and that was a real factor for me because I was, you know, I was buying a daily driver. Remember, I was being that thing every day, doing many miles and nine and seven streets ahead. Well, uh, you know, oh, Porsche, yeah. Porsche in the in the modern age has invested a hell of a lot of money into haptics, uh, and really, it kind of starts at the nine nine seven because. As we say, it was a complete and utter overhaul over the 996 in that regard. And ultimately, it's where we spend the majority of our time with the ownership experience of these cars. The other big, big, big win for the 997 over the 6 comes down to seats. Now, I've said before, again, how uncomfortable 996 seats are. And again, 997, I just think Porsche got it right. It was a return to form from the 993 where the sports seats or even non-sport, I suppose, they had a genuine like decent lateral hold you sat in the seat rather than on them mm. and bear in mind it's ostensibly the same car as the 996 in terms of the chassis and whatnot you sit lower as well it's just so much of a nicer more comfortable place to be that actually has proper hold it's a big win it's a great driving position you know i've done 900 miles in a day um in mine a few times from italy back to my house in reading where i lived at the time no problem at all very comfortable great 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 tourer in that respect Fantastic. So here's one then, gents. It'd be nice to know from each of you, what's your pick of the 997 range? I'm going to go Gen 1 and Gen 2 here. Well, do you want us to choose choose between Gen 1 and Gen 2 or or, or the whole of the range, even the the run-outs as well? The the entirety of the range. So from 2004 to 2012, what's the pick of the range for you guys? Um, I'd have to go Sport Classic, obviously, having been an owner for eight years. So I think I would probably go Sport Classic, although the, I, I, I've never owned a GT3, but I do like them. I think they look absolutely beautiful. They are beautiful. You know, they're not a big, bulbous car for a GT3. They're spot on in size, uh, noise, um, and the way they look inside as well, just simple. It's just a simple GT3 car, nothing fancy, nothing flash. Um, I think, say nothing fancy, nothing flash, I think I'm going to have to go for the Sport Classic because even though some people think it's a little bit fancy and flat and flash it's not really it's you know it's not bright colors it's what well, it's sport classic gray and it's chocolate brown interior so you can't get more dull than that can you but it's just <laughs> it's just the way it's just it's just the way it was done in the classic style nothing too over the top it was just done classic it was done stylish so to me the sport classic excellent max uh 997.1 GT3 is my favourite GT3 of all GT3s. I absolutely love them. Love the way they look. Um, I haven't driven one. I've driven a Gen 2. It's fantastic, but uh, I just love them. Absolutely love them. Um, if I can just have another one, the forgotten 997, which I think is one of the best looking 911, one of my favourite 911s, aesthetically, 997 GT2. 
I love the way that really? car looks, especially at the back. I love the rear wing. I love the little gills, the gills outsets. The back, yeah. You know, it's just Pretty really cool. And those, the, aren't they? the bespoke front end, you know, it's a really aggressive car. And I think it's a bit cooler than the RS. You know, the RS was quite, you know, was quite full on, you know, a lot of carbon center locks and all that sort of thing. The, the 907 GT2 kind of slightly flies under the radar and values haven't been too crazy. It was the car that brought the amazing folding carbon bucket to us. I know it doesn't sound very good, but blown 911s, you know, rarely do. The GT3 sounds a lot better, but I think they're, I think they're great. But Gen 1 907 GT3, love. Uh, Gen 2... I thought you would have gone GTS all, all, all day long. I thought you would have gone GTS. Well, in Gen 2, you know, I'd what I actually really like, what I enjoy looking for and looking at in the classifieds, like I sent you guys earlier on today, is really late uh, Gen 2 907 Carreras and Carrera S's. You know, because they brought through some things towards the end, like the, you know, the black steering wheel and things like that. And some, some, you know, there's some really, really good looking cars, you know, ones that were maybe 2011 production. You don't see very many of them, but often they're really, really nice cars. And, you know, a manual one of those, you know, a non-S two-wheel drive. I'm a two-wheel drive guy, not a four-wheel drive car, but, uh, really. But, yeah, a, a really late uh, 907 Carrera 2 or Carrera 2S. I think they're they're really nice. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That's such a good point you raise about the GT2 as well. I agree. I think they are underrated. And I actually think GT2s generally are quite underrated, the water cooled cars. Um, I do find, I have found the 997 GT2 to be easier to drive than a 996. I think driving a 996 GT2 is more of an event. Right. Okay. I feel like the. Um, the scary <laughs> yeah yeah no 100 yeah. percent. yeah whereas the you know the the, the gt2 it's kind of moniker tame. if you like exactly that it, it has yeah. been tamed for the 997 <laughs> which i suppose look yeah it makes the the 997 kind of more usable um but again I, I like the idea of a car that scares you a little bit it's a bit you know the 996 gt2 is a bit like the original 930 turbo yeah 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 you know, but I, I definitely agree with that. It's a really, really underrated car, the 997. And again, build numbers like seriously small. So would that be your choice, the GT2 on the 997? No, it wouldn't. Um, uh, I, would, on, I know what Louis is. <laughs> go on, Max, go on. I reckon that your yours is uh, uh, 0.2 GT3 RS 3.8. Oh, do you know what this is this is funny i kind of change my mind every week so ask me next week and i'll change i would say the four liter for what it represents and it's just pure motorsport on the road i know we're kind of used to that these days with the gt3 rs of the 991 and, and certainly like 992 generation they just cut cars with license plates but i just love that in the rs four liter a road car there's like a genuine rsr crank in there and whatnot i mean it's just it's ludicrous to think that porsche ever made that car yeah it was it was loss making as well it cost porsche more to make that car than it, it did to sell them i think were they 128k um when yeah. you it's just crazy wouldn't it you know it, unbelievable but the 3.8 is a fantastic fantastic car fantastic car and i do love the 997 gt2 rs in, in melding that kind of turbocharged ideology with the ren sport name i think they've done that really really well yeah but let, let's go rs4 because you have to pick one what about you andy uh i would probably go with max on the the, the dot one gt3 but i'd have to take the wing off the back controversially it's one of the best looking wings <laughs> yeah but i don't, just don't like wings do i <laughs> yeah, I'd put a well, don't choose the GT3 then. Don't choose the GT3. But I'd, no, the GT3 but I'd run the, uh, that engine. 
that right, engine okay. just yeah that really appeals yeah, but you put a duct tail on a GT3. That's a silly idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a dark dark. <laughs> dark dark. Not, it's go on, Max. Go on, go on. Notwithstanding the, um, you know, the road trips and all the stuff I did in my 907, uh, when people are talking about best drives and, you know, most fun and that sort of thing, one of the times that I went to um, Porsche Experience Centre, I think I had a little bit of time off or something. I can't remember why I was there. I just thought, oh, no, that's right. I had a bit of redundancy money. And I thought I'm gonna and I'm gonna go to Porsche Experience Center. And I'd been there with my brother-in-law and we'd done the Carrera experience and we'd done we'd compared C2S against C4S and all that sort of thing, which is really interesting. All 997 Gen 2, because that was the car at the time. That's where I decided that I was a 2S guy, not a 4S guy. Not really, I don't think because of just general driving, but when you're on the kick plate and on the ice hill, when you start to, to slide the way that the front comes in. I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's quite my cup of tea. Anyway, I, I went back another another time on my own, and I did an hour and a half with this um, instructor called Keith, an old older guy who was really great. And I was in a, it was in a white with full red interior, nine and seven point two C two S, with sport chassis, so no PASM, ceramics, limited slip diff, um, and it was just brilliant. And we spent the whole ninety minutes in that car and it was before they had the extra bit of track on the other side of the building so yeah. it's just that just that bit and we spent a lot of time just going because we got on so well going round and round and going faster and faster and faster and we were flying around there at the end and the car was just brilliant absolutely brilliant and it was you know 90 minutes that i still think of regularly now in spite of the fact it had a red interior nail including steering wheel on the top Ooh. of the dash you know, which is pretty pretty full on like there'd already well, been an accident you- in there if you'd have bought a 997 Gen 1 brand new like I did, then that was before the Porsche Experience Centre was built. So you got taken to Penny Hill Park and you met in the hotel in Penny Hill Park, signed on in a bit of paper, had your breakfast there. Then you went to the track not far down the road where they, where they did some Top Gear stuff and there was a banking curves. So you used to go around banking curves and that was when there was all like weeds in the road and all that sort of stuff. And like you'd see post office vans doing their like, um, stuff around there as well so that's that's where the porsche experience center that's where they used to take you ah. if you bought bought a 911 yeah so your yeah. first 97 did you spec it yeah yeah and did you so you, you've already said it had a beige interior i, I, I don't think it was savannah then I think it was something else. but was that on the on the steering wheel on the top of the dash as well yeah thing? well yeah well I've, I've, I've sort of fallen foul of that twice really because um my first ever mccann um my first ever mccann diesel was black with um, the same colour interior, like light tan interior. And I, I made the mistake with the 997 that it came with a light beige steering wheel, top dash and everything. And by the time I got the McCann, quite a few years later, I I forgot about the experience. So I just ordered tan tan interior again. It's like tick the box. And then when it turned up, I thought, oh, shit, I've done it again, haven't I? <laughs> uh, yeah. But now they do it with um, the two-tone thing. Yeah, well, even at the top. Yeah. Well, even in the 993 I've got now, it's got tan leather interior, but that's got a black steering wheel and black dash on it. So even back in the 993 days, I did it, but for some reason, it, in the 997 and the and the first McCann's, it was everything, everything, like the gear lever, uh-huh. uh, the dash, the, the the front, the steering wheel, the door. Horrible. Cars, literally. No wonder you're so vociferous about black steering wheels these days. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's got to be. It's got to be so. Yeah, I, I did. I did spec up tan interior with a Tiptronic box. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm guilty on both charges, my lord. 
I don't think that's too much of a problem because you know I, I'm I'm going to stick up for the Tiptronic gearbox. I don't think it's as bad as what as what people say. It's obviously it, it doesn't have the sophistication or the execution of PDK. But if you live uh, in and around, you know, London and whatnot, and, and in fact, there's a specialist that's just outside of London and 90% of their stock are Tiptronics. They, they sell a lot of 997s and 90% of them are Tiptronic rather than manual because that's what the clientele in yeah. that area want is a car that they can run in before the emissions, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, into London and whatnot, it's, it's perfectly amicable for that sort of thing. Well, let's face it, we only started slagging off the Tiptronic box when the PDK one come along. No one ever slagged it off before that. We only slagged it off when, when we knew how good the PDK was and how good the PDK could become even further down the line. But but that's when we started slagging off the Tiptronic. But if you had one at the time, you thought it was great. You yeah. thought it was really, really, really good. Mm. So, yeah. It's well, interesting as well with 997s where, you know, the Gen 1 to Gen 2, there's quite a gulf in price on that. And I'd like to come back to that in a minute. But I think the 997 generation was the first time where we – or Porsche got into this flow of the Gen 1 would introduce a whole new look for us to get used to. And although the Gen 2 is described as a facelift, the company uses the Gen 2 to bring in new technology in terms of the engine drivetrain and whatnot. Yeah. So obviously 997 was the switch to DFI. Then 991.2, we went to the engine went turbocharged. And then 992.2 incoming, obviously, we're going to have hybridizations. It was the first time Porsche used that kind of flip-flop, if you like, between a whole new look and then and then bringing in the new technology. It, it's a great way of doing it, isn't it, really, when you look at it? Because it brings it, you're not it, well, the 996 was the the thing that probably yeah, they bought everything new, new body, new engine new interior new everything and everybody was like <laughs> because everything was new so that that was a real learning curve to say yeah we're not going to do that again but it was a great kind of profit drive as well because as as um mr ackline has said in having kind of more models to choose from and bringing in the s of the same car but with yeah. more options it increased profitability but but also it, it meant that porsche and also consumers didn't have to wait eight years like fully eight years for something new yeah. It, yeah. it kind of kept things a bit more kind of interesting but it's i think in in the current market makes things quite interesting because the the gap in value or price between a 997.1 and 997.2 two is kind of quite substantial really and particularly the 997.2 i feel like those cars this the carrera range it's in a bit of an awkward spot at the moment because for not a lot more money you can have a 991 which yeah. is like for, for you know more modern infotainment um and and just you know, I, I would argue perhaps a little bit more 911 for your money so it's it's sitting in quite an awkward spot at the moment but that's kind of not to do that generation a disservice at all it's just how things are currently yeah it is interesting. There, there, there is. There's quite a crossover. You know, those nice uh, Gen Two Nine Nine Seven Carrera S's. You know, you see them advertised, and I, you know, and I look. I still look for them. I'm still interested. And they're, you know, they're they're quite a lot of money. Mm. Um, you know, they're they're the same money as I paid for my for my nine nine one. And I think it depends what you want your nine eleven for. Um, I mean, unless you have a clear preference, I, either way, if you if you if you toss it, you know, if someone said to me, "Do you think I should buy nine nine one or nine nine seven? I think through a conversation about what they want to use the car for and why they're buying it, you could probably quite quickly get them or, or help, you know, help get them in the right direction. I think into the right car definitely it was the same at the other end, Max, as well, where you can talk about you know an entry level modern nine eleven. You might like to use it daily. Well. 
996 is, is great if you can't get on with the the shabby interior and the fried egg headlamps well there we go there's a there's a 997 ready to go for you so yeah yeah but isn't there going to be um a difference so if you're buying a 997 gen 2 that's going to have low mileage against um a 991 gen 1 that's probably got double the mileage so you'd be paying the same i guess but the 997 gen 2 will have 28 30,000 miles and the 991 Gen 1 is going to have at least 50, 55,000 miles. So by going for the 997 Gen 2, um, A, you could probably have a quirkier colour because they they had better colours, I think, in the 997 oh, Gen 2s yeah. than what they did in the 991. So you could find one with a quirky colour. Uh, also, it would be a low-mileage car, which adds a little bit of kudos. Otherwise, you're just going into a higher-mileage 991 Gen 1, which although you may say is a better car, it would give you the same smiles and the same experience, I think, when you're in there. But you've got a cooler car with a 997 Gen 2 because you've, you've, you've showed that you can actually go out there and source, source a car, spend a bit of time looking for that car, just going, rather than just going, oh, I'll have the 991 Gen 1 because it must be a better car. Well, it may not be a better car because it depends what you want the car for. I think I'd rather have a quirkier 997 Gen 2 than a run-of-the-mill higher mileage 991 Gen 1, definitely all day long. Yeah, interesting, very interesting. Uh, uh, let's stay with engines, Neil, and we spoke about the mm. 997 Sport Classic, which is a phenomenal mm. car. It just melds old and new <sighs> together kind of so well. Um, but yes, engines... I am sure I've heard you say before, a 997 is just a fancy GTS. So are you going to stick by that or are you going to, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pull the pin and throw it in. So come on. Uh, the sport uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's the reason why I sold it in the end, really. I mean, um, it was, I mean, it's nothing to do with values. Values, literally, when I sold mine, values were, there was such a wide, but no one knew what they were worth. Literally, it was ridiculous. So the spreads were just ridiculous. Um, the reason why I sold mine was I was heavily into the GTS world then. And I think that the Sport Classic was not as good a driving experience as a GTS because it was a pain in the ass to drive because it's so low. It had a painted front splitter. So you really had to be careful where you took. Literally, you get to be really careful where you got fuel. That was how much you had to think about your drive going out in it. You had to think about where you were going for a car, some coffee in it. You know, you had to really plan it out beforehand. Driving around the road, yeah, okay, it's fine. But the other stuff that you, that you associate with driving a car road, just like the simpler stuff, you had to really think about it. And I got caught out. I had to have my front splitter painted, and it's not cheap. Um, I did actually think about just leaving it off at one point because it was just easier just to drive it around. Um but apart from looking at it, the actual driving experience didn't really do a lot for me. It didn't really make that much of a noise. The exhaust system wasn't great. I think the GTS exhaust system was better. Um, the gear shifts were a bit floppy, a little bit floppy, you know, in all gears ratios. I'd, I didn't really think that as a sharp, direct um gearbox like you know you wouldn't really sort of grip it hard and throw it in and yank it back and it was just a little bit floppy um noise not great 
speed, yeah, okay, speed was there because he had the extra, um, was it an extra 30 brake horsepower? Might have been extra 35. 408 um, all in, I think it's 28 yeah. horsepower increase. Oh, 28 <laughs> horsepower increase, yeah. So um, for the actual driving experience, I sort of fell out of love with it because once you get your head around the way it looks and it's beautiful and you like showing it off and you like people taking pictures of it and it was a real standout car, at the end of the day, you've got to drive the bloody thing. Um, and I just fell out of love with it in that respect. So I, I would have rather just jumped in a Bogo GTS, not care where I left it. If it was dirty, filthy, fine. But the Sport Classic, you always felt as though you had to represent it and keep it clean at all times. Like you couldn't take it out dirty. You had to be careful where you left it, be careful where you parked it. Stone chips on those push wheels because they were polished was always a pain. Um, and then you had things like, so I had... Um, I had mine um, detailed once and they left a bit of water um, on the inside door seals and it took the transfers off because on the illuminated door seals on the Sport Classic, you had the number. So mine was number 006 uh, slash 250. And the guys that detailed it um, left a little pool of water there where they didn't dry it properly. So I, I wiped it a couple of days later and he just took the transfer off. No. So you go back. <sighs> yeah. So you go back to Porsche and you just say, okay, fine. Um, can you just send me the, you know, some transfers? Because you, because to get anything Sport Classic, you had to prove that you owned the Sport Classic. So um, OPC number. East London, yeah. So OPC East London had to do all the ordering for me um, because I needed some stripes once to go over the bonnet because um, a bird shit on it and it burned through it and whatever. And so they that they had to get them for me. So going back to the transfers, um, they went to Porsche and they said, right, can we just have the transfers? No, you've got to buy two new door seals, 1,200 quid. So it was all it was all that a little bit, you know, those sort of bad experiences, you know, and then the driving experience as well. And I just thought, you know what, I'll be better off with a GTS. So I did. So I sold that and bought GTS. I think maybe we've got to the crux of the Sport Classic thing, haven't we? It's a really low genuinely numbered edition 911 and they only made 250 yep. it's a collector's mm. piece and that's yep. well i mean it's I, I know it's a beautiful car they look great in, in the flesh particularly more so than in pictures yep. but it's that numbering isn't it? it's that individual numbering of 250 that that's where the values come surely but if it was in the 250 then the value would be stupid wouldn't it you know the value would be i don't know three quarters of a million quid but it's not and i think that tells you something that it's also the driving experience of it as well and i don't know people i think people buy them for the looks i don't think you would ever buy a sport classic for the driving experience because it's not worth it people only i in my opinion people only buy them for the looks yeah right. yeah and, and again like the interior i mean it's an exclusive it's a hand-built modern porsche which i think is pretty pretty damn special and even like on the inside i just I love like the um, attention to detail with the the leather and the craftsmanship and that. And to be honest, like, ev- everything inside is wrapped in leather, even like the um, the handles inside the, to get to get vents. in and out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and the air vents yep. as well. I mean, the it's a real kind vents. of it's an exquisite attention to detail that you you can only get really from. It Porsche. was the first time. It was the first time that I'd ever seen that detail on the dial as well. Yeah. So the dial in front of you with the stripe coming down it and the word Sport Classic written in it, that was the first time me personally had ever seen that. And I thought that was pretty special. Um, but yeah, to me, it just become, 
it just become more of an occasion car. So, and I don't like occasion cars, so that's why I sold it. There you go. Something I'm interested yep. to know about, Neil, um, mm. which uh, I think is a bit of a, a forgotten 911 it's in the 997 world, um, and you owned one, and sometimes I think you forget that you did. I think the Gen 1 RS is, is the forgotten mm. GT3 RS, and you had one, didn't you? You had a black one with orange wheels and decals. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> It, it was not long after I started doing track days and uh, I did what everybody should do. And you start off in a 968 club sport, which is what people told me was the best track car to learn in. And I was at Brands Hatch one day and some guy took me around in a um, Gen 1 GT3 RS. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is this is cool. This is going to turn me into a real track day star. So I jumped from a 968 club sport to a um, 997 Gen 1 GT3 RS like you should. Um, total mistake, nearly killed me at um, Brands Hatch on the GP circuit. But again, for the looks of a car, I think it's, I personally think it's better than the Gen 2 because of the decals on the Gen 2. I just don't like the decals. Well, you could argue, you could just take them off. But I think what they did with the Gen 1, I think the way they made it look there with the, there was either orange with the black or black with the orange. The interior, Alcantara interior, um, was the first time I'd experienced that on a, on the interior of a car. Boy from Porsche Leeds, drove it all the way back down the M1. Um, totally loved it. Loved the, I mean, the noise of it. When you got in it, the whole thing rattled with the Perspex glass at the back. Literally, it just rattled the whole thing. Um, and would I have one again now? Uh, maybe, I think, because um, I think it's gone full circle with the car. I think I think I would treat it with a lot more respect this time. I thought it was just a you know, just a faster car. I didn't appreciate that it, you know, it would sling around a lot more than any, say, a GT3 or a, or a, or a Carrera 2. But I found out the hard way. Um, so I sold it pretty soon afterwards. But when I look at pictures of that car, I think that's a better looking car controversially than the Sport Classic. I know I've said that the Sport Classic is a pretty car, and you may think I'm contradicting myself, but um, I think aesthetically that is a better looking car than the sport classic because i think this the sport classic is all about the looks whereas the gt3 rs is not only the looks it's the looks it's the engine it's the way it drives and everything so i think that makes it look a more realistic better car for me and in those colors as well black with the orange decals and the orange wheels i think that's pretty striking so yeah i did have one brilliant what do you think of them lee have you driven one the dot one rs yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I drove one. The last time I drove one was probably five years ago now. So I'd love to kind of revisit that. And I think you're dead mm. right. It is in in the realms of the Ren Sports. It's absolutely the underrated car mm. and yeah. one that's kind of very readily overlooked by enthusiasts, possibly unfairly as well. Yeah. I think people look at the mechanical specification, don't they? I don't not think it had a single mass flywheel, but I don't think they added any more power, did they? It was very much about homologating you know some of the aero and the wider body and things like that for uh, motorsport so people say oh, it's not a, it's not enough of an rs if you like it's not enough of a step over the non-rs gt product that it was based on but yeah definitely it's a I pretty mean, cool car it, it is and, and you know you could argue the same with the 996 it you know it's the same power and whatnot and i think 20 kilos lighter or something like that and people kind of struggle to get the difference between the gt3 and the rs now the reality is it's the same with the 997 but just for whatever reason the 996 i think it, it's kind of overtaken that and is a little bit more revered i think numbers has got a lot to do with it 
Yeah. Um, I think there's about 1,100 Gen 1 RSs versus just under 700 996s. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely underrated. I think, ironically, fewer Gen 1 907 RSs than Gen 2s, in spite of the fact that generally Gen 1 907 production was much greater than Gen 2. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the Gen 1's a rarer car. I met a guy once years and years ago at a, at a Cars and Coffee thing in Norfolk, you know, before Cars and Coffee was even a thing. I met this farmer from Kings Lynn who had a, uh, a silver with black wheels and black decals, 907.1 RS. And that's not, that might be the only one I've ever seen in the flesh. Although our friend Nick Jeffrey posted one uh, the other day online, but I mean, that was a great looking car. And he was a really lovely bloke as well. I imagine that he kept it next to his combine harvester in his barn in King's Lynn. That's what, that's what yeah. appealed to me. <laughs> told, told, told everybody he had a Porsche and a Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, what, 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 in, in those colours, I'm not sure which, which silver it is, and they certainly didn't make very many of them, but silver with black wheels, black decals, and the detailing on the wing. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think they've now, I think they've now jumped to that really awkward price now for Porsche enthusiasts, you know, they jumped to the 165, 170 grand level, which is an awful lot of money for that car. And I think there's so much out there that you could buy that mm, it's a better driving experience, I think, than the Gen 1 GT3 RS. That's a good I think point. It's, it just sits in that really awkward price range. Do you really want to spend that amount of money on that car? Because you'd have to get a, a well most of them have been tracked in fact virtually all of them have been tracked which you which is what they should have been done but are you going to get a low mileage non-tracked car probably not and for 100 well you'd have to pay at least 160 for one i'm i'm guessing that's just in that awkward price bracket for me i think there's just too much else out there that you'd rather have than that car yeah. I'd find it hard struggling. not to buy a 991.2 GT3 manual yeah, for, that, for, that, for money. that money. Unless I particularly wanted to get the RS exclusivity and there you go. come with the, that. But aside from that, it's hard not to go, you know, for the later car. Is is there anything that's, you know, we talk about the, 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 you know, the PDK, Tiptronic and the motor. Lee, is there, what other what other things came with the second generation that are, you know, better? What, what, what were the other improvements in your view? I kind of feel like that's it, mate, to be honest. And I think the point you raise about infotainment is a massive one because yeah, like you say, once the PCCM plus comes out for 997, which will be next year. Um, so, so, so Porsche say, uh, as you say, completely kind of nullifies that, that yeah. advantage. And I think that's yeah, pretty much know, the only difference, isn't it? Between the, the dot one and the dot two on the interior is that PCM. Pretty yeah, I'd, 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 I'd say so. There was an update for like the sports steering wheel and yeah. kind of bits and pieces like that. The Gen 2 exterior mirrors are a little bit bigger, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And whatnot, yeah. But kind of, well, yeah, ma- ma- material. Yeah, most of it was on the outside, wasn't it? Most of it was on the outside, like the LED lights. The LED front lights. Front, I think, as well. I, yeah. think I dare, dare say that the LED lights on the back of the Dot 2 have not fared that well. When you look at a Dot 1 rear lights, I actually think they look better now. Yeah. Folk have trouble with um, moisture in the Gen 2 rear light clusters, I think, as well. That's, that's not uncommon, and they're expensive to replace. Yeah, just look a bit mm. blingy to me. 
Yeah, I know what you mean. Whether um, whether or not the uh, shift itself has been improved, mechanically speaking, I don't know. But the six speed in the Gen Two is, to my mind, one of one of the best. And it's like you know, if only the the, the seven speed in the nine nine ones and nine nine twos could kind of get anywhere near that, you know, almost rifle rifle bolt like yeah. um, of the six speed. How it compares to a Gen One, I think that'd be a really kind of a really nice little comparison. But the Gen Two six speed manuals are lovely, lovely. I shift think, to it. super fluid. I think that's. I think that's why the GTS is so popular, isn't it? The manual 997 GTS, that's why it's so popular. Mm. Mm. Get one in the manual box, and I think that's probably the sweet spot, I think. Yeah. Yeah, lovely car. Well, look, lots covered this evening. I I hope if you're listening at home and you're still here, congratulations, you are the master of endurance. But I I hope that you've kind of got something out of this podcast and, and, you know, many kind of different points covered there from the design aspect of the 997. We looked at the numbers. Neil and Max gave fantastic insight into the ownership experience of these cars as well. And then we had Chris from Wrightune giving a mechanical and kind of technical overview of the second water-cooled 911 generation. So we hope you found it useful. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone wants to talk about 997s, just hit me up on, <laughs> on Instagram. I've got, I've got lots more to give. Oh, and and lot, I, I, I'm very happy to answer any questions. I, I'll talk about 997s till the cars come home. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, as as former owners, Max and Neil, thank you for joining us today. Yes, really, really guys. appreciate that. Andy, always good thanks to see you, my friend, and chat Porsche as well. Indeed. Cheers, Cheers guys. guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Yeah. And to those, to those listening at home, we will catch you next episode where we've got a very, very, very exciting uh, topic diving into. It's a completely new era for some previous guests. Let's just say that. This episode is brought to you by our very kind Patreons. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at www.patreon.com backslash nineworksradio. Andy, I think you need to have a go in a 997, I think, a bit more. I think um, it doesn't sound as though you've had a little bit of interaction with one. I've only driven one 997. Yeah, I've not. I haven't got one to offer you, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but, um, uh, Andy, oh, yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, come on. Let's, what's the one? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, okay. Straight to the top. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like it that much, to be honest. I much prefer my 993. <laughs> <There you go. laughs>